Hello there. Thank you for checking out the debut edition of Restoration Today. It is a brand new podcast in the industry. I am very excited to be joined by the Chuck Violand today. He just has a new book out, which I had the privilege of getting an early copy of and got to read. So today we are here to talk about his book, The Entrepreneurial Conspiracy, and talk about um, the six behaviors that he has found derail companies. So Chuck, thank you so much for joining me. So I'm hoping that you can tell us a little bit of the background of um, and your inspiration behind your book. Well, Michelle, thank you very much for having me on. I didn't know that this was the inaugural podcast, so uh, I'm very honored. Thank you. <laughs> I'm thrilled to have you here, of course. Uh, well, you know, the book was, um, it, it was an attempt for me to talk a little bit about some of the behaviors that I have witnessed, both in myself, but also in many of the clients with whom I've worked over a long career of consulting and coaching small business owners. Uh, over the last 25 years, I spent a lot of time writing about them. And while I am writing is not uh, a natural thing for me, it's a lot of work. Uh, I still wrote about them individually at different times in different ways. Actually putting the book together was pretty arduous, <laughs> pretty arduous for me because you had to collect all those thoughts into a continuous thought. And uh, that was difficult. So how long was the process? How long did it take you from start to finish to get it all done? Well, with after writing all the articles over that long career, probably two years um, of really putting it together. And I happened to have a, a really good collaborator on it um, that helped me think through some of these things, fill in some of the blanks. Tim Kraft, mm -hmm. he does a lot of work for us here and uh, he's a great writer. So he was able to help me through that process and really keep me on track. And then as you know, we have an outstanding editor on staff here at Violin Management in Karen Tursley, and she was the one who really cleaned it up and made it readable. Karen is fabulous. She catches all the things. That's amazing. Oh, man. Yes. <laughs> all right. So your book outlines six different behaviors. So it's blurred vision, no accountability, heroic mm. manage managing, e-drift, entrepreneurial drift, hiding out and swollen ego. Do you feel like there are any six of those that are more dangerous to a business than another? Yeah, that's a pretty good question. Um, I think hands down, it would be swollen ego. Mm -hmm. And Michelle, the reason that I feel that swollen ego is because uh, underneath it, it really underlies several of the other behaviors that are there. And Swollen ego can also be, um, how do I want to put this, clandestine. I don't, I don't want to overplay the uh, conspiracy thing, but don't think just in, in terms of arrogance. Uh, in many ways, that's the, that's the obvious one that we see and the very unflattering one. But ego plays out in so many other ways that we don't notice it. Yet it can have a debilitating effect on our ability to lead an organization and to be an authentic leader, if you want to use that term. Sure. Okay. So there's the phrase, check yourself before you wreck yourself. So how do you help owners kind of, or leaders keep that ego in check? What should they be doing to make sure that there, there aren't things happening that they're not noticing? <laughs> yeah. Another good question. Um, you know, probably the first, the, the first one is, and I make this comment to clients when we bring them on board, <clears throat> excuse me, by virtue of the fact that you own a business or that you're in a leadership or a position of authority in any organization, you need to understand that you are really in a high risk category for having an inflated ego, all of us, okay, present company included. And so I suppose that recognizing that behavior is the starting point. But I also think it's important to pay attention to how often people ask you 
questions, and I mean serious questions, how often they push back uh, on suggestions that you make. And I mean respectfully now, Interesting. but yet they really challenge us. Mm-hmm. That's how we get better as leaders rather than simply relying on ourselves for this. But those are some of the things that, that we look for um, in an organization and within that specific leader himself or herself. Okay, interesting. So kind of on the flip side of this, you also talked about some entrepreneurs and leaders suffering from imposter syndrome, which is you know a little bit of the opposite. So how do you help people overcome that where they feel like they don't belong, they don't have the values or the right skills or whatever, and they feel like an imposter in their market? Yeah. And again, I'm going to go back to the ego thing, because that's really where that plays out. And in my opinion, that underlies that whole imposter thing. Michelle, I think I, I think a lot of times with the with the imposter syndrome, and maybe it's just because uh, in aging, I've become a little bit more uh, vulnerable uh, to admit my weaknesses. And I think as business leaders, we're kind of conditioned not to do that. You know, we're supposed to be the smartest person in the room. Uh, we're supposed to have all the answers and that's impossible yet many of us have have just got to have a bracing conversation with ourselves and recognize the fact that we can't have all those things nor are we expected to and usually when we demonstrate that we don't have all the answers the people who were demonstrating that to respect our leadership even more because they know that we're fallible and that we're vulnerable and and I know it's easy to say work on our vulnerability, work on our authenticity, but those are really things that we need to be working on as far as maintaining the ego and allowing us to overcome that imposter syndrome that so many of us suffer from. Okay. All right. So in your chapter on e-drift or entrepreneurial drift, I've heard you speak on this a few times as well. It's a big topic for you and it's always interesting. Um, So no matter what, you talk about different phases of business and everybody can be at risk of entrepreneurial drift, no matter where you are in the cycle of your business. Um, What are some of the warning signs, no matter what stage your business is in? You could be new, you could be in the middle, you could be, you know, rocking it, it could be going great. But what are some of the warning signs to look for that, uh uh-oh, there might be a detour coming ahead? (laughs) Well, once again, maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. I'm a charter member of the e-drift club, okay? Uh, You know, you know. Chasing shiny things, you know, squirrel kind of thing. Um, but I, what we look for as an organization here is for the first one is probably high turnover in an organization. If there's high turnover, that's, that's almost always a reflection of the culture of the organization. And that goes back to a reflection of the owner. So if there's a high turnover, frequently it's because the people in the organization don't have the chance, they're not given the chance to gain traction on the things that the owner has asked them to do. They get frustrated, they, they want to perform in, a, in an organization where they are acknowledged for their successes and they can't get that because the owner is constantly changing course. I think we also look for a lot of projects that have been started and just never followed through on to completion. You know, that is a classic symptom of e-drift. And then the last one, and this usually is not a popular thing to say to small business owners because so many of us are, are family-owned businesses, but it's when we have an over-dependence or an overpopulation of family members within our own organizations. And I, I want to clarify that, Michelle. I, I am not against family businesses. Viola Management happens to be a family business because my wife is involved in it. 
But when you have an over-reliance on it, it means that many times that owner has never learned, the, has never had the need to actually manage people. You just kind of rule them. <laughs> you know, they're family members. You know, they knew who I am. And, and so we just kind of rule uh, the organization. And so our e-drift can really be hidden uh, behind that whole behavior thing. And a lot of the people, the family members and other members of the, of the organization resent that. So we look, we look for those things, high turnover, uh, scatteredness on the part of the owner, but also just the whole beginning projects, never completing them, and then an over-reliance over on uh, family members. Okay. All right. So, um, so in restoration, we talk about 10 and 10 all the time in your book, you brought in a concept of, I don't know how it really is said, but 10 and 10 and 10, it's a, an analysis in regards to delegation and handling heroic management. So can you talk a little bit about what that 10, 10 and 10 analysis is? Yeah. Uh, well, I've been in the restoration industry for 40 years, around 40 years. Okay. And I, to this day, I still do not understand the logic behind 10 and 10. So that's a totally separate webinar. It is. Uh, but as far as the 10, 10, 10, in terms of business decisions and delegation, which is what that really has to do with, you know, uh, many small business owners have characteristics of heroic managing, smartest guy in the room, failure to delegate, you know, command and control mindset, can't command and control management style. And so we don't give up. Uh, we, we are reluctant to give up or to delegate responsibility and authority to people. The 10-10-10 really has to do with separating important uh, questions or important decisions that you're going to be making and urgent ones. And working you into a longer term view of the implications of the decisions that are going to be made either by you or by the person that you're delegating to. So you look at it, the first 10 is going to be a short time period, 10 minutes. Okay, really, if I make this decision right now, or if I delegate this to somebody and they make their decision right now, what's the impact over the next 10 minutes? Probably not much. Okay, then you go to the next 10. And that next 10 might be in 10 weeks. In 10 months, what's the implication to the business if this decision is delegated and made by somebody else and it either goes well or it doesn't go well? And then you go out the next 10, and that is 10 years from now. And many of us as small business owners have very short time spans in mind when we grow our businesses or when we make decisions. That's a mistake. And I think that many times those decisions that we make in a knee-jerk um, urgency come back and bite us uh, at the end of the day, and, and we end up repaying for it a second time. So it's just a way to help you think through step back, take a breath, think through the implications over a longer time period. I had a guy, uh, an operations guy at, a, at an early client that I had, they were a construction company that I had. And he was a smart guy. And I remember having a chat with him and he made the comment one time when he was talking about being able to delegate something to one of, the, one of his uh, site foremen is what it was. And he goes, really, at the end of the day, what decision is, is he going to make that can put the business out of business? He goes, there really is no decision he can make that is going to bury the company. And so let him make a decision. If he makes a mistake, he makes a mistake. All right. But then you learn from it and you grow from there. And that's really what that has to do with. Okay. All right. So um, 
just a couple of final questions here. So I also wanted to ask you about the importance of um, owners learning to be open about their goals and maybe sharing a little bit of the financials, maybe not, you know, the entire picture, but it seems to me, you know, I know a lot of restoration owners and it seems like the more open they are about the overall goals of the company, the better the company does overall, whereas the ones that are kept tight knit, uh, tight, close and fist that it just, it, it doesn't go as well. People end up frustrated and all of that. And so I'm curious um, your take on sharing information, how much should be shared with your team. And is that kind of a new concept or, you know, did past generations, were they that open or is that something that's kind of within as younger generations come in, they're expecting this more open door policy and um, knowing more? Uh, in my experience, I think that it is, it, it's certainly more common today. And, you know, let's face it, Michelle, we're dealing with the, the best read, the most educated workforce in human history. And so the expectation is much higher for transparency, for being included in decisions that are made in the business. And I think that generation or not generation, I think that that's just part of our maturation as a society. So if we separate the financial piece from just the overall organizational goals of the company, uh, I'm going to go to the financial piece first. And I think that many business owners are reluctant to share too much. And some of that is learned from our past. Much of it is learned from the early years of our businesses, where we learned the risks of sharing too much information when things aren't going well. I mean, if we shared stuff when our books were upside down and the company was struggling just to meet a payroll, half of our people would leave us because they were afraid that we we're going to get paid. You know, if we showed them to the bank, which we were very reluctant to, you know, the banker would call our notes if they were, if they were uh, risky enough to lend us money in the first place. And heaven forbid we should show them to our spouse because they make us go out and get real jobs. You know, so we don't, so we don't go down that path. But now when we, as your business grows and we assign accountabilities to people and we measure it with dollars, they need to know how they're doing. They need to know, you know, have I achieved my goals? Is the company is the company strong enough to let me continue to build my career? So I, I think that we learn those lessons and we have to unlearn them as we grow our businesses. I don't necessarily subscribe to showing all the numbers, particularly payroll numbers, to everybody. Now let's go over to the organizational goals. I, I think it's fundamental in today's world that we do share those uh, organizational goals. And I'm gonna go a step further. I think it's critical, particularly as our organizations grow, that we include people in helping identify and draft those organizational goals. As the saying goes, if you expect buy-in, give way-in. So let people have a voice in the choices that they're making in the direction that the organization and what, what the expectation is, they're much more inclined to recognize their role in achieving those things and being valued and included all the things that workers are looking for in today's workforce. So I think that that's, a, that's something that small business owners, particularly inexperienced small business owners, it's difficult for many of them, me included, to get comfortable with that. But it's really, it really is critical to successfully leading an organization, creating the culture that will attract and keep people. Yes, yes, okay. All right, so what is the number one thing that you hope somebody takes away from reading your book? Yeah, um, yeah I, I think it's, um, as business owners, a lot of us don't recognize uh, how difficult it is for 
the people in our organizations whose paychecks we sign to speak truth to us, okay? Usually they end up with former in front of their title or they get marginalized into work that's not conducive. So I guess I looked at this as an opportunity for an owner, a business owner or a leader in, in any organization to take a candid and perhaps bracing look in a mirror and ask themselves uh, the questions that somebody would love to bring to them and maybe help them identify those things all of it in the service of trying to grow a happy, uh, successful, sustainable, profitable business. Um, many of us uh, don't realize how lucky we are as business owners and what a privilege it is to be a business owner. And um, it's, uh, this is a way to speak candidly to those business owners and, and help them grow more successful businesses. Perfect. All right. So where can people buy the book? How do we get it? Hey, you know what? Thanks for asking. Uh, they can get the book at Amazon.com, uh, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. So go online, order yours today, and enjoy the read. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for sharing your expertise. I appreciate it very much. I look forward to chatting with you again in the future. I'd love it. Michelle, thank you so much.